2: Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome to the Business of Esports podcast, the official podcast of esports. We explore the intersection of business and esports, one of the fastest growing industries in the world and the future of fun. Please welcome your host, Paul, the esports prophet, Dawalibi. The Business of Esports podcast begins now.
3: From the keyboard to the boardroom, this is the Business of Esports podcast. I am Paul Dawalibi, the prophet of esports. For those of you who are new to the podcast, welcome to the official podcast of esports. What we do here is we cover the most pressing gaming and esports topics and news of the week, but we look at all of it through a business and C-suite lens. We dissect. We analyze the business implications of everything happening in this industry. For our regular listeners, thank you guys for tuning in every week. Thank you for all the love, the five-star ratings and reviews. Thank you for all the love you show the podcast. If you've shared the podcast, thank you. If you haven't yet, do two things. Send the podcast to a friend, share it with them, uh, and go leave a five-star rating and review, whether it's on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Google Play or wherever you get this. Uh, Make sure to follow and and, uh, leave a review uh, if you love the content. Um, Guys, we have a very special episode this week. I'm going to jump right into it. It's that exciting. It's that good. We have, um, I mean, we're just so lucky. I think every week our guests just get better and better and better. We have this week Omar Badrji, who is the head of marketing, communications, and partnerships at Saudi Esports. You guys have heard me talk so much on the podcast and how bullish I am about esports in the GCC region. Um, I am so lucky to have him on the podcast today. Omar, welcome to the Business of Esports podcast.
4: Hey, Paul, thanks for having me. It's uh, really exciting to be here.
3: Um, Omar, for for our listeners who maybe don't know much about you, would love if you could give them a bit of your background, like how you got into gaming, why you got into gaming, a little bit of the Omar story.
4: Yeah. what can I tell you Paul I've been a gamer since I've been um, a kid uh, you know starting with the PlayStation 1 I think was the first console I started on uh, just having my brothers around my cousins we'd be uh, all gaming together um, of course here in Saudi FIFA was a really really popular uh game uh, but then you know the more you grow up the more you get sort of excited about certain titles I'll tell you the one that really caught my heart, I'd say. Assassin's Creed, when I've been gaming year in and year out, definitely. So I'm a bit disappointed with the last few years, but definitely, definitely one of my all-time favorites. Um, I was born and raised in Saudi. What can I tell you? I did a bit of a stint um, in the States, went to college there, uh, came back. Uh, I think it's funny, I actually started my career in PR and comms. And then with a bit of work here and there, started moving into
3: gaming. And uh, I guess now I'm here. Omar, I love, uh, you know, I, I love the FIFA and Assassin's Creed uh, sort of background. I think that's so interesting. Uh, before we jump into Saudi esports, because we're going to spend a lot of time talking about that, obviously. I just have two questions because it's come up in the last you know, couple of weeks on the podcast. So much news around FIFA and EA and EA potentially like dropping the FIFA name. Um, yeah. And we talked about it, so I'm curious to ask you, as a fan of a longtime fan of the franchise, would you play it if it wasn't called FIFA? Do you care?
4: It's, it's um, we've actually been talking about this in the office recently. It's it's a really tricky one, call. I think uh, by any other name, it's just as beautiful. But the thing is, who knows? Maybe that partnership with FIFA, with maybe one of the other developers maybe it'll prompt people to get them to try something different to see if it's actually good enough. To see, if it's, it's just as good.
3: Yeah. You know, uh, I mean, my, my view was like, if it, you called it EA soccer, right. But people would still buy it like crazy, right? Like people love the game yeah. of football, love the game of soccer. Yeah. Um, except
4: we would call it um, EA football. Yes, this soccer. is true.
3: It would, it <laughs> would confuse a lot of Americans, but it would work. Uh, it would work outside of the U S. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the other thing, Assassin's Creed, supposedly they're doing a show, uh, which is like all the rage now, right? Games turning into yeah. shows. We've seen The Witcher, yeah. we've seen uh, League of Legends do, you know. Would you watch that? Like, would that be something you'd get excited I, I, about?
4: I definitely would. It's, uh, <laughs> I don't know, like these, it's just these types of games. I get so immersed into the, the story. Like, I'll, I'll play the multiplayer online games, you know, um, every weekend. But then, you know, if I'm having a rough day at work, I really can't handle that competition. Can't handle that stress. <laughs> I'll, I'll just open up a bit of a story mode and enjoy that. You know, especially these open worlds that are calm. Um, I really enjoy them. I,
3: I I agree. I think you know, Assassin's Creed, especially the last few years, have not been that good. Um, yeah. A show might revitalize the whole franchise. Um, yeah. Would we, would love uh, for our audience. Uh, let's dive into Saudi esports here. Um, so, uh, t- talk to me a little bit about what you guys do. What the per- like? W- give me the mission a little bit of Saudi Sports Federation. Like, what what is it? What are you guys about, and what are you trying to accomplish?
4: So very simply, Paul, we uh, we wanted to treat esports uh, as any traditional sports is treated. Um, that it is established under a federation, a sports organization, um, and the premise of any sports organization is that it falls under the Olympic Committee of that country. Um, and that's how we established it. And the reason there is, is we really believe in the Olympic values of sport and how we carry all of that. And I'll start off by saying we really believe, it. yes, these are games and they're owned by publishers. But when they move into the esports realm, it feels like they no longer belong to these publishers. They They belong to the community that are playing them. And just like any sport, that's why... We hear a lot of people calling soccer football the the beautiful game because it is something that a lot of people enjoy and they feel a passion and a connection to. And esports is starting to fall into that realm. And I think it's time that we move it from a franchise type of purely monetizing. I wouldn't say we stop the monetizing, but a purely monetizing, uh, uh, I'd say, model into something that is really more international. Something that really invites the people to compete based on skill, based on on these elements, rather than just being controlled in one way. So yeah, um, that's that's the I think the ultimate mission there.
3: It's interesting because by associating it with call it traditional sports, right? Like uh, even though on the on the podcast we laughingly call everything else meat sports, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. By, um, by associating it with sort of the Olympics and putting it under that same umbrella as traditional sport the implication i feel is that there's sort of greater benefit to society is that i mean is that how you guys think about it like in some ways that's a very i would say leadership position right like there's not i don't i'm trying to think of any other country that puts esports sort of in the same basket as other olympic sports i guess reporting to the same minister you know um
4: so so how would you define uh spectator sport? And that's that's really what it is. Um uh you, you need a competition, the teams that are competing. And if and if you're talking about let's say physical strain, the studies have shown that these these um uh, athletes, esports athletes actually have reaction times akin to race car drivers. They even have uh heart rates that go up to the same levels that race car drivers have and that is really what it's about. You have a competition. You have the audience that's there. And you have that physical strain, the need for skill, and and for us, it's not just about the benefit to society overall, but really focusing on the benefit to the community that is passionate about this and that want to see it. and And I think we're overall globally, esports is doing really well. But let's let's look at the time where we have a a sort of global umbrella that organizes all of this together. When can I like if I were to ask you when the the, the Super Bowl is happening in 2027? You'd roughly be able to tell me the month, just regardless of anything, just because you know it happens the same time every year. We want to get esports hopefully to that level where we get that sort of stability, that organization, and and, and that structure where people can depend on it, where people can can make careers and a living out of that. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different
5: stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is safe. It's a place to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For example, it's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash GamePresents today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H E L P dot com slash GamePresents.
1: If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals.
2: And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Store on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Omar, how do you position esports in Saudi Arabia versus esports in China, esports in Korea? Like I assume, given the international view you spend a lot of time thinking about and looking at what other countries are doing um you know where where do you put saudi arabia in that mix cuz yeah. one of the things that annoys me personally is you know china korea these markets india get almost all of the attention they get you know all of the articles that we hear about them almost daily from a an esports news standpoint um I, I personally think there's there's more opportunity in a place like Saudi Arabia. But I'm curious how you think about it relative to those other countries.
4: Absolutely. I will tell you um, it, what's amazing about Saudi and the Middle East in general is that organically there are some really good players, um, amazing community. They're very active. The, the, the only thing that we noticed a few years back is that really there's no ecosystem to support. Um, so that's just one of the stories that we hear about, even in one of the leagues that are available now for CSGO in Saudi Arabia, um, there's a an amazing talent called Park. um, who was doing really well in the league, but felt like the competition wasn't just at the level that he needed. The spotlight wasn't at the level that he needed. So we moved to a more international league just because they're more prominent, they're more known. And it's, it's so the, the raw talent is there. The world champions are there. Um, if I speak specifically about like, games like FIFA, if I talk about fighting games like Tekken, we've had a few world champions that already made it in 2017, 2015, 2018, 2019. So all of these years, we've had Saudi world champions already make it. But the thing is, um, it's, it it just feels that the spotlight is not there. How I compare it to markets like uh, East Asia or other markets even like Europe, we are a growing market. I can tell you we're very far from maturity, um, especially from the private sector standpoint. We've seen a lot of growth in the past three years. Um, We're still not at the pinnacle. We're still moving fast. But still, that doesn't take away from the raw talent, the raw passion in the community that we see where they started gathering without any um, entity sort of bringing them together. It just organically happened. And I think that's what's amazing about it. Uh,
3: that is interesting. I want to dig there a little bit. Like, can you talk to the demographics of a place like Saudi Arabia in terms of like, what, what does what the gaming audience look like there?
4: Yeah, yeah. It's it's very interesting. Um, in Saudi, um, so the the population is, is roughly around 30 million, maybe give or take. Add a million maybe, you know, with recent changes. But uh, at around 30 million, 23 million gamers in Saudi Arabia. And I know wow. we're talking about. Yeah, you're talking about almost more than 60% of that population. Um, when we 're talking about gaming, I know we 're talking about a broader audience, but even yep. when we talk about yeah we 're talking about mobile games um about fifty percent um of of the community in Saudi gaming via mobile, and we 're reaching numbers as as high as fifty six percent for female gamers there um so we we have a good split i 'll tell you just like anywhere else in the world, that split really skews more toward the male demographic when we talk um, in terms of esports, but it's all still there. We're seeing um, a lot of these uh, female um, leading clubs, uh, esports clubs, growing in Saudi. It, it's really interesting. Definitely, just to sum it up, the gaming community is massive. The gaming community is really big. The esports community is smaller, but growing by the day, and, and that's what's amazing to see
3: is one of the key advantages, uh, this is something I talk about without any hard data to sort of prove it, but, um, it it, like gut feel tells me I'm, I'm right on this is we know the average age of the gaming and esports audience in Saudi Arabia is very young, right? Like the, the, the population is a young population, which is good for, from a gaming perspective. Um, but compared to a place like, India or or China or some of the other big markets that we spend a lot of time talking about uh the disposable incomes quite a bit higher which you know if you're trying to um trying to put on a, a an esports league or a, you know a big esports event or something like all the, that to me matters right that's a that's a, a big positive um is that something you guys track carefully like are you seeing spending um increase like Spending on esports and gaming increase in the region. Uh,
4: absolutely. So uh, I'll tell you from a gaming perspective, we we see very clearly. Um, it's a bit harder to track with esports uh, because it, it it sort of um, gets mixed up with the hardware sales and so on and different sales. Yep. But uh, with gaming, it's actually pretty clear how how much buying power there is in the market. I'll tell you very simply. Saudi is the, it is the 19th largest market in the world with a population of, uh, of let's say, 20, 23 million gamers. But that's not even covering the, the the entire story. Uh, what we work on a lot are a lot of products that are not in Saudi Arabia, games, software that are not in Saudi Arabia, games that are not on the PlayStation Store, in the Saudi Store. Um, and we see all of the spending happening outside of markets in Saudi Arabia from uh, the community here, um, and we can definitely tell you that nineteenth largest market in the world is not even showing the full picture. Um, it doesn't because we cannot we can't capture the spending that is happening entirely. Um, I tell you, we're we'd probably be even higher up there.
3: You know the the beauty of a place like Saudi Arabia in my mind is just the bold vision, right? Like the, the, and when there's conviction around something, um, you know, you guys go off all out and, and we saw recently, we talked a lot about it on the podcast, the acquisition of, um, ESL and face it, uh, by basically, you know, it's a, it's an investment arm of the Saudi government, right? Um, how much does that matter to you guys as the. Saudi esports federation, when you have sort of at the government level, uh, it seems to be conviction around gaming and esports. Like, what is that relationship between government and you guys? And how does something like the ESL Face it deal have an impact on what you guys are doing?
4: Absolutely. And, and I, I can tell you, like no other country um, in the world, and uh, uh, I, I can tell you this is just purely from what I've seen. Um, is that we are very passionate, but also very coordinated. We work together. There's a high spirit of involvement within gaming. Um, so as, as, you know, as an example, if I'm here um, trying to look at tournaments, trying to look at like, really hosting these large-scale tournaments, small-scale, national-scale tournaments, um, and looking at infrastructure. There's always either a government entity that if we reach out to, they'll respond really quick and say, yes, let's jump on a call, let's discuss, these are the things that we're working on. And they're more than happy to cooperate. If we're looking at different projects within Saudi Arabia, you know, the project entities in Saudi, and we we talk to them about certain you know, arenas or infrastructures that we are very excited about. They right away go and start looking at the feasibility of doing such a thing. Uh, working out a model of how we can cooperate on these things, and it's it's amazing how there is an open line of communication between um, public, private, non uh, uh, non-profit entities all working together. You know, with some gaming, like I can tell you I can tell you it's it's the tip of the tip of the iceberg.
3: Does the ESL face a deal? take Saudi esports to the next level, right? Like what, what is the implication of ESL and face it being owned by Saudi Arabia? Like, is it, is there some, some major, like five year plan that this is all a big part of? And you know, in five years, everyone's going to be like, Oh my God, like, how did we not see that coming? Uh, and you know, these are like the first, call it the first volleys, right? Like the, 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 the initial shots. Um, I don't know if you can talk to that sort of big, yeah. uh, big picture plan and how, you know, buying essentially the largest tournament operator in the world fits into it.
4: Yeah, yeah, I, I can't really speak on behalf of Sapi, after all, I, I'm not a member of that, that entity. I can tell you what I what I think and what I, from from what I've seen. For us, the investment is in esports, is not just purely from a profit perspective. It really is investing into the industry to grow it. Um, uh, if you were to ask me as just an observer of the news, I think esports is growing at an amazing pace. But really, uh, having an institutional investor the size of Savvy that can really invest um, funds into entities like ESL that really take them to the next level that have always had certain financial constraints. That would be an amazing thing that would be something that this I think sector needs on a global scale now speaking as a Saudi having ESL um, having ESL face it um, probably working in saudi arabia that uh, that's an amazing thing because we we are organically developing our own capabilities but having someone of that um, experience here speeds up that now knowledge transfer it also speeds up Different um, different phases that we would have to go through to develop everything on our own, and then ESL themselves um, would get access to a new market that they have maybe been um, interested in for a while, and and ha- have been looking at, at market entrance uh, uh, pathways.
3: So, so you don't have to say it, Omar, but like it's, I, I'm convinced that. That we're going to see ESL Riyadh like in the near future, right? The same way we have ESL Katowice and ESL Cologne and ESL New York, right? Like we will see one of these landmark ESL tournaments, I think, um, in, in Saudi Arabia how, in your mind though, how far away are we from, from seeing, you know, like a league of legends world championships coming to Saudi Arabia? Like, are, is, are, are you, are we two years away? Are we five years away? And, and I, I'm using that a little bit as a barometer of like how how sort of advanced uh, the esports ecosystem is there.
4: Uh, I can definitely tell you I, I I am a member of the Saudi Esports Federation and we are working on having flagship international events in Saudi. Uh, so that, that is definitely not a secret. We've done a couple of flagship online international. Uh, tournaments uh, that that donated a substantial amount of money over the past two years to humanitarian aid. And we are working on having a physical one very soon. So you're much more likely and sooner to hear about something that is purely um, Saudi esports before anything else.
3: Okay. Uh, (laughs) An answer without really giving me (laughs) any specifics. (laughs) I like it. Um, What uh, what are some of the challenges? Like, like, let's talk about the flip side. What are some of the challenges of of bi- trying to build an esports ecosystem in Saudi Arabia? Like, what are the the things that keep you up at night?
4: I'll, I'll tell you, it's it's the the ambition. Um, we're not we're not looking at this from okay, what does the appetite for the market? Like, uh, as for Saudi esports we're looking at this from where do we want this to be in the next campus. Um And the ambition is, is, is very high. And that, that really is where, where we all try to look at. If, if we build, we feel that with this amount of support, if we build plans that are, you know, reasonable for today, they'll be outdated tomorrow. Definitely. Um, then we look at some of the, 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 I think, stigmas that still exist and we try to, to work with. And these stigmas are not just on a community level. So as Saudi esports, we're a federation, we're supposed to care about the sport, but we'd like to step out of our comfort zone. I'll, I'll give you an example. So we go and look at all these esports organizations, teams, um, PC centers, different, different um uh, different business ventures that we see and then we look at banks not wanting to give them loans because of the stigma mm. around that and we don't think that's right if if, if they fulfill the, the requirements if they come with a solid business plan it shouldn't be the fact that they're working in gaming or esports or some type of thing that that you're not comfortable with should not stop that so really, those are are the types of of uh, I think issues that we find in in Saudi, and that we're really trying to enhance. And and hopefully, we're very close to to enhancing these. Just um, recently, uh, there were announcements. Um, uh, so as as there are multiple, uh, as I said, government entities working. Um, this field and we're working with them as part of a program called ignite in saudi arabia there was a a the world's largest um let me find the the words it's the the world's largest startup and small organization fund for gaming in the world um and this fund is specifically uh targeting startups and and small-sized organizations to fund them in in multiple areas, I think, more than 33 different areas. So whether you're a team, you're a tournament organizer, you'd like to create a broadcasting platform, whatever you really want to go into, whether you're creating a tournament platform online, this fund is there, um, and we're doing it in partnership with a few um, other entities. And as you can see, that's that's the level of coordination we're doing. So we we look at that one, um, I think, obstacle uh, that gamers would usually uh, traditionally find and then we try to find ways to solve it uh, hopefully now with this with this uh, fund that we've developed that actually it is not only funding local uh, entities but also funds international entities um, mm-hmm. we have now had one step uh, in the right direction but that's just one obstacle that we're tackling from a financial perspective, we're still looking at this from multiple angles and trying to really develop all across the world
1: if you love sports and true crime then there's a new podcast from executive producer dan patrick and hosted by me jay harris that you won't want to miss playing dirty sports scandals each week i'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever i'm talking marcus dixon olympic gymnastics And Stan, we do over three whole
5: episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon.
3: We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's
0: number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon.
3: You, you know, I think it's it's uh, the the example you gave of the bank who maybe doesn't want to lend to a business that's operating in gaming. Like, uh, uh, such a good anecdote. Um, I want to sort of hone in on that and and ask a question that I ask often, which is where do you feel is Saudi Arabia on this call it education curve? Right. Like the, the, I think when we look at different markets, they're all sort of at different places in terms of how has the broader community, the mainstream community accepted gaming and esports as a legitimate sport, legitimate pastime, legitimate thing that gets taught in schools like we we, there's always this push right we want to push esports forward we want to push gaming forward where where does saudi arabia sit from a society as a whole in terms of like education and do you guys spend any time on that right like is any part of your mandate um specific to convincing the general population that hey this is a legitimate sport these are legitimate athletes
4: yeah, yeah, I think that's a 2 pronged question. One from the general public's acceptance of this as a career, um, and then from the availability hopefully, of the education programs. I'll, I'll try to tackle both of those. Um, from a societal perspective, you can see it's 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 not quite there, but you can see it growing, and and that's definitely thanks to the efforts in the past four or five years. Um I'll I'll give an example of one of the things that is was I think one of the most effective tools that, that we used. So um we've had a a uh, EA FIFA league in partnership with the Saudi Pro Football League uh, or the soccer league. Um, um so um so all so our our first league, our first division, the professional division has sixteen teams. Um, in that division, in, in football, and it's the most watched sport in Saudi. So we mimic that on EA with the actual same teams, mm. each and every team. And then we were actually, I think, one of the first two or three countries in the world to have a, a full flex simulated football league with all teams participating. And that just um, made it grow so fast, so fast, and because we tapped into something that people are li- related to. On the same example, um, M.S. Dasari, uh, a world champion EA, very known in the EA FIFA uh, world and very known in Saudi, has really legitimized this. But then someone like M.S. not only stopped at being a world champion, he now tells his story of how he went and established himself a club, how this club is now invested here and there. A club just recently announced a series of, of sponsorship deals with some of the biggest app delivery brands in Saudi with the Dunkin Donuts with with just different things and and that is really what's starting to get that um mainstream acceptance of this is career when you see the results and i think the more results we see in Saudi the more we will we'll be closer to acceptance but i can tell you we're definitely doing very well um so far but there's there's still a lot to grow a lot to do um,
3: Because of those demographics, it feels like there's, there's less convincing, right? Like I, I feel like the, one of the huge strengths of, 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 of e and Saudis, I feel like the young population, obviously you don't need to convince you don't need, like they get it already. And so this education hurdle, which exists in a lot of markets seem, feels smaller. I I don't know if that's just my feeling or if you.
4: No, absolutely. And it's not just, I, 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 I think from, from my perspective, I, I put it in a few different things. So if you, if you compare other esports or gaming markets and look at the average age and compare Saudi, not just from the gaming market, but from a total population, we're talking about a bit over 65% is under 30%. old. Wow. is a massive number of the entire population. But then you look at education rates. Which are insanely high. There's a, a, high, a high percentage of college education in Saudi because it is, it, it is supported and it's for free. But then if you look at internet penetration, over 93% internet penetration in Saudi Arabia. That's not, you can't find that in China and the US or any, anywhere Definitely else. Definitely not in the US. Yeah. So people are online, they're young, they're educated, and they're really eager to be active. And, and in the end, we're very social. And for me, it's that, that last one that social you know, uh, ties. It, it's what gets
3: us moving. That, that's an interesting insight, right? That the the nature of the population, the gaming population, also matters, right? Not just the right. not just the age or disposable income or like these very. There's a more like um, it, something a little, nuanced, more, yeah. The, yeah.
4: Yeah, nuanced,
3: a little more yeah, nuance, a little more touchy feely that that makes a big difference. Um, let's talk about one of the challenges that um you know we talk about in esports broadly is call it this you know path to pro where yeah. and you mentioned you know a fifa player when they're successful they sort of elevate everything right like you can point to that guy girl whatever and say look here's a here's a person from saudi arabia who has made it and and that I think can create a lot of hype and a lot of excitement for everyone else, you know, who's aspiring to that. Yeah. Um, the struggle with esports is what is the path to pro, right? Like if you're if you're playing in your mom's basement, right? How how do you get from that to sort of on stage at a big ESL tournament? And yeah. you know, uh, how much does the Saudi Esports Federation? Spend time thinking about that, or supporting that, or fostering that.
4: But that's that's Paul. That's that's literally what um, we we believe in. That's the mission, the Olympic value, and it's it's the ability to make it up from the grassroots. I I really I don't want to spend too much of this time talking about our competitions, but I'll, I'll give an example. Um, for instance, the the Saudi leagues, all right, and these are a group of leagues that we have in Saudi Arabia that are screamed and everything. Um, and the way to make it there is it starts off with an online competition on one of our par- partner platforms for that year. Um, and then thousands and thousands of people enter, you know, there are small prize pools. And then the way we do it is that we take these these winners, They most of these are team-based sports, very few are not. But we take these winners and then we move them into a sort of post-qualification round where they have to come on ground, they have to travel. And in this close qualification, they're playing against the bottom three from the Saudi leagues from the previous edition. So they're, they're they're rubbing shoulders with those people that have already been in the pros in the year before or in the edition before. And then we see how that matches up. Whoever the top four from that close qualifications makes it into the actual professional league. That's that's you know the, mm-hmm. the the big thing nationally. But then. Um, what we do in between those, between the closed and between when they make it when we know that these people want, we go and we take them in because the, the numbers aren't that big because you're talking about professionals. These these players were clans. These were groups of friends and we start talking to them about creating uh, a more official entity uh, applying at the Ministry of Commerce. We will talk to banks for them. We'll try and open them a, a, a company oh. bank account so we, we try and take them through that entire funnel, so and and there are some publishers that really work with us um, amazingly. So, for instance, um, you have the likes of, of, of PUBG Mobile that are, are now taking Saudi teams that did very well in national competitions and have qualified them to the regional competitions of their own um, sort of organization. Um, and, and we are now seeing publishers that are starting to take. The, the The fruits from our funnels or, or the products from these funnels and moving them into their own national regional um, sort of leagues to compete um, so it's it's become really interesting. I think we've 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 had a few years of testing, but it's it's proving that this model really works
3: you know I want to come back to the publishers because I think there's there's some interesting discussion there, but uh, let me let's just finish this thought in terms of path to pro. One of the phenomenons we're seeing in the U.S. is universities starting to offer esports programs, right? So yeah. you can come, you can get a, a degree, uh, and you can play for the university, and you can study esports marketing or esports management or you know something related to esports specifically. Um, is this a phenomenon that that Saudi Arabia is seeing, where like because university is uh, like? Will universities there be on that path to pro in your mind, or it's not part of the ecosystem yet?
4: Hopefully. We, we want to get there. I can tell you, no, we, we, we haven't seen that many curriculums in, in, in actual um, university courses, but not that it's not in the works right now. Now, I can tell you something that is amazing. We have in Saudi something called the University Weeks, which is basically um, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but in the tens of universities, all creating their own esports teams, playing against each other, and then one university cool. at the end of the tournament would host this. And this is a partnership between us and uh, multiple universities. Um, so the universities are now starting to adapt it from the esports side, but in terms of the education side, we're seeing programs pop up every day. But then from our talks with certain entities, around Saudi, every single entity is reaching out to us. It's like, so we want to start an esports academy. Can you guys advise us on this? And we're like, all right, here's another one that's already doing that. <laughs> all of this is, is, is coming up soon. Um, I can't really name names right now, but I can tell you I've had this conversation again and again with different entities. That's that's, that's we want to do. This is our academy. And we all just start working together and building what curriculums this academy would have would it go online what's the feasibility of having it actually offline and um, i think you had a very interesting show specifically about the feasibility of these academies uh, offline and, and and do we really need it these days i i referenced that episode here, one of our discussions by the way but uh, yeah so so yeah it's it's definitely happening very soon
3: yeah it is it's an interesting sort of i won't call it dilemma but it's an interesting decision right like Online yeah. versus offline, but it sounds like uh, at least from the university league perspective, you guys are quite a bit more organized than just about every other geography, at least I've seen. I mean, even the U S like college esports sports is a bit of a mess. Um, yeah. There's a lot of interest, a lot of excitement, a lot of sort of, fr- it's very fragmented uh, in some ways. The U S lacks the kind of centralized planning, thinking uh support that you guys provide the ecosystem, right? Like I think that's the interesting part of the Saudi Esports Federation is there's there's sort of a central official place that's whose mandate is to to make sure that esports succeeds. Um you know that that just doesn't really exist here at least in the US and I think that's 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 something I think we could take away and maybe learn from. um let, let's f- talk about the publishers. I wanted to come back to that because I think Everyone recognizes publishers hold a lot of power these days especially in the esports world. Unlike traditional sports, how have you guys um managed that, right? Or managed those relationships? Um like w- what is the what is this relationship with publishers look like for you guys and how are you working with them today?
4: I think publishers just specifically with us have been very supportive. Um they they are interested to see the, the level of investment that we're willing to do into the community. Um, and there are certain publishers that make things very easy. I think not in terms of we, we have to fulfill the guidelines, but they're there. They're talking to us. They're trying to, to support us. Like I'll, I'll speak to one certain publisher um, EA. Um, EA has a partnership with the Saudi Football Federation. But then, in a discussion between us and the football federation, there was an agreement just like, "Hey guys, we'll we'll do a lot of the heavy lifting. You guys are partners. You guys are the main partner for for these leagues, but we'll help you in the background." And when EA saw us trying to really lend our expertise to the football federation, they turned around and said, "Okay, hey, listen, let's start working, with you guys, too." And there was a lot of excitement there. Um, now even it, like we work, it, it's it's sort of a triangle where we work with EA and the Saudi Football Federation, always trying to do some interesting things. And and I I know I keep bringing up EA FIFA a lot, but the reason is just in Saudi it's so big. I can tell you of the twenty top players in West Asia, eighteen are Saudi. So, so, wow. so you could, yeah you can imagine it's it's a big game for us. We we love our football
3: it's also it, it's the low-hanging fruit and in the sense of like how can you get people into esports it start with something that people already know right that's that's Absolutely. i think always the appeal of the sports games in general yeah. um yeah. you're starting with something familiar um so that's that's interesting i i, I want to move to physical the physical piece of esports yeah. um you know we've seen a lot in the US, and we've talked so much about this on the podcast. Build the building of huge esports arenas, right? We, we, uh, Business of Esports has been to the one in, in Las Vegas, the HyperX Arena there. We film content there. Um, you know, the, the, we've, we saw the announcement of the one in Toronto, up in Canada. They were going to spend half a billion dollars on an esports wow. arena up there. Um, is this on the roadmap? Like, is this important to the Saudi Esports Federation to put, you know, a huge, billion-dollar stadium, esports arena, state-of-the-art in Riyadh, is that, like, is this part of the vision, or are you guys thinking about this in a purely digital kind of sense?
4: Uh, I, I can tell you from Saudi sports' perspective, no, definitely the physical is there, this physical element is there. I can tell you from a sports perspective, the and from an infrastructure perspective, Uh, We are on a mission in general, whether it's us or what we see from other entities to develop different, um, I think, attractions in terms of sport. So you see a formula track announced every uh, day, one here, one there. We saw like six different golf courses um, announced over the past while. Uh, We saw, I think, four stadiums announced earlier this year, four new football stadiums. And wow. we have we have plenty of football stadiums um so it's it's the infrastructure um is part of the plan definitely not only from from what i can tell uh but not only from 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 the work i'm doing but even from what i see every day in the media in south Arabia.
3: um uh, omar the look that uh it, it gets me really excited about what the future there could you could you talk a little bit just I want to sort of wrap on this. Give me a a a, a little bit of a taste, a uh, uh, you know, a teaser of of the future of of Saudi esports, right? Like, well, give me the the big picture. Why every because I I'm excited about it. Give me why everyone listening to this should be really excited about what you guys are doing there.
4: Absolutely, I think the the why esports, why gaming and esports are important is because. They are one of the most engaging activities ever. Um, and, and that activity is there, um, and you're not going to get rid of it. So, might as well understand it, understand how to benefit from it from a societal point of view, from a community point of view, and from a financial point of view. Uh, it's it's going to be there. Even like surprisingly, from a humanitarian aid point of view, when COVID first struck, we were like, oh my God, what are we going to do? But we did Gamers Without Borders. Two years we've donated twenty million dollars to COVID and it wow. hopefully we'll be back for, for another year. Um it's really it's it's a phenomenon that is very engaging, but then it's not just about benefiting from it, but it's having society benefit from it. It's the career pathways, it's these young uh demographic that want to work in something that they enjoy. And why shouldn't they? And it's about us investing in paving the way for them to
3: to get into that and start working. Yeah. Omar, I'm, I'm just, like I said, I, I've, I've now repeated myself so many times. There's probably no region uh, in the world. I'm more excited about to see where you guys take esports. Um, and I think, like I said, I think everyone is looking at China or looking at Korea or looking at India is missing the boat in terms of where the big growth is going to be. I wouldn't be surprised if in five years we're talking about Saudi Arabia as the biggest esports market in the world. I would not be surprised.
4: I, I, I like how that sounds, Paul. I like how that sounds. <laughs> yeah.
3: Omar, Absolutely. how can people follow what you're doing, fo- maybe follow you or follow Saudi esports. Like, Where can people find out more or follow?
4: Definitely they can follow us on our websites, our socials. Uh, we have a lot of channels that we, we um communicate through you can definitely email us we have our emails on the website and they're not those emails that you don't get a response we're actually very good at those responses um and yeah definitely and i i would just ask everyone to keep their ears out this is just a bit of a shout out i try not to do it all all podcast long keep your ears out um we have a lot of exciting things coming out this
3: summer um i love that everyone should go check out saudi esports federation uh, and we will i'm sure cover those announcements um so i'm i'm excited about that too we'll have to bring you back so we can talk about those things uh omar well
4: maybe next time we'll have you uh, shoot the episode from all the way over here i love it just i've that
3: even safe. better idea i love that let's do that absolutely um, for our audience guys just a little bit of a housekeeping um, make sure To go follow business of esports everywhere on Instagram, on TikTok, on YouTube, on LinkedIn, you name it, Uh, business of esports uh, on all those platforms. If you love our content, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Google Play, wherever you get this. Make sure to follow it. Share it with your friends. Omar, thank you so much. Uh, Awesome episode. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, Remember, the future is fun, guys. We'll see you next week.
0: Thanks for listening to the Business of Esports podcast. Check us out at thebusinessofesports.com and on Twitter at Biz
5: Esports. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them